So as we see Zacharias coming on the scene and his wife Elizabeth who are going to give birth of John the Baptist here now, that there is a religious setting. There's 24 divisions of priests at that time. This man was a priest of Abiah. And during the reign of King David, the priests have been organized into 24 divisions. 24 divisions of priests. Chronicles, you'll find that out. Each of these divisions, they'd take turns serving within the temple. And this particular course or division that Zacharias had was Abijah. He's a priest. He was not the high priest. The high priest is Matthias, who is appointed by, of all people, King Herod. This priest is corrupt, but he's appointed as the high priest. But do you see what this means? You have a degenerate king and you have and you have a degenerate priest in the temple of Jerusalem. There's a spiritual need for the Messiah to come. How would you like to have somebody who is really not the least spiritual being your great high priest? What's the setting as far as the family is concerned? Elizabeth, Zacharias, to be a priest is a great honor. However, to be a priest and then be married to uh, your wife who is a daughter of a priest is even better. That's a double honor. Because she came from Aaron. You had To be in the priestly line, you had to come from the tribe of Aaron. And so she did and he did. So there's a, a double play there. They're both righteous. They're blameless. Their character is remarkable. Yet they're sinners like everybody else. They have the need of the Gospel and because they knew they fell short. That's why there was a continual sacrifice going on at the temple. They received grace though to be able to serve God, to be right here planted in the Gospel of Luke, to play a key role in the coming of Christ. They were ones who were obedient and so the grace of God definitely is there. Let's get into their names. What's Zacharias mean? God remembers. That ought to say something. There are um, meanings to names in the Bible. They're not by accident. And then you have Elizabeth. It's the promise of God. The promise of Elohim. You'll see the word El, Elizabeth, El. That's God right there. Uh, you have promise. What do you have here? God remembers the promise. Oh, wow. Did that just strike you? I don't even know if it did then. But each of their names, they knew that. I'm sure they must have thought, my name is God remembers and your name is the promise of God. I'm sure they put something. God remembers the promise. That's really good. I like that, right? So we place these two names together. There's a promise of a forerunner to go before the Messiah. So now we turn back to Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. That won't be too hard to find, right? The last two verses. And this is what God leaves them with. And then for 400 years, like I was saying, nothing else happens until 400 years as far as God speaking. 
God speaks after 400 years. But here was the 400 years ago. Behold, in verse 5, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. That's interesting. He's going to send Elijah. Elijah already lived before this. He was like, uh, what, 750 B.C. This is 400, uh, 300, over 300 years ago that Elijah was around. And he's going to send him back? Going to resurrect him? Well, he's going to be coming in like manner of Elijah. He's going to be like Elijah. He's going to speak like Elijah did. So everybody looks for that coming of Elijah, right? He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse or better judgment upon the land, upon the whole world. And he says, I have to have, I will have somebody coming. It's almost like he doesn't say, this is it, I'm not going to speak to you for 400 years. But he's saying this, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet. Prophets speak for God. I'm going to send you one before the terrible day of the Lord, the coming of Christ, the judgment. It's going to be one who's sent. Here it is, folks. This is it. Right here. Nothing said by God until now. Incredible, right? And they have their names. God remembers His promise. Okay, that is a tremendous prophecy. That's how the Old Testament ended. And then the New Testament begins. This was the last promise that God gave for those times. A promise, a special ministry. It was a major problem. Do you know what the major problem is? We go back to Luke. It's never a problem to God. We see that they're righteous and meet the requirements of the Lord. Verse 7, but they had no child. I think we've seen this before. We've seen it many times. Of course, you can go all the way back to, to Abram, Sarah. And of course, it goes right on through several times, doesn't it? Uh, think of Isaac. Think of, uh, of course, Jacob and how all that worked out. It's amazing how God works things all throughout His plan. He just keeps doing it. So, they have no prospects of having a child. Okay, They have no children, but they have no prospects to have children. Why is that? Because they were. she was barren. I guess that's good enough right there, but it kind of multiplied. They were both advanced in years. What that means is super advanced. Um, it's not like they're, you know, they're just old people. I mean, it's impossible. Just like it was with, with Abram. That, that's where they're at. This really seems like a hopeless situation. I mean, really. I mean, you look at the truth. Very advanced in years. That's the idea. She's barren. There's no chance. This is hopeless. There's a principle here. It's God who comes into the hopeless situations. Do we have a little application here? Whenever things are hopeless, God just comes in and He says, I'm here. Turn to Me. You're not going to get your needs met by anybody or anything. No matter who they are, what they do, 
Your needs are never met by them. Ultimately, it's met by God. God is the master of the impossible. Have you turned to this impossible situation that you've been in and turned to God, right? Have you done that? Of course, if you're Christian, you do it all the time. It's called dependence upon God. When we throw up our hands and say, I can't do it, God says, great, I love it when it's like this. Because I can, and I will. And I'll do it for my glory. Because if we did it, we would have a tendency to (laughs) take the glory ourselves. And here we go again. What an, This is a miraculous story here, folks. Full of prophecy and fulfilling of truth. It's just, just amazing. Okay, now, 8 through 10 is dealing with the offering of incense. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And a whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. Offering of incense. He's a priest. There's 18,000 of them. 24 courses. A lot of priests in the nation. It was his time. They would actually serve in the temple two weeks a year. One week and then later on, another week they would serve. What a privilege. And then that would be it for the year and then they'd come back and start it all over again. You'd have a full week for priestly duties to be done. He was mostly making sacrifices. Actually, they were butchers. Because they had blood all over them constantly as they served around the temple. Bloody mess. That's what it was. When people went to the temple, it was an amazing thing that they would see. That temple. But yet at the same time, it cost the lives of animals. So there had to be death here. Of course, that's a picture of Christ, isn't it? So he's doing his duty here at this time. And he has to be elated. Because why? He was chosen by lot. Or they drew straws. He got his name pulled. You know what? There would be many of these guys who would never get the chance to do this incense offering thing going back to the point of the Holy of Holies. They didn't go into the Holy of Holies. They died but to the point where there was the altar of incense, that's the last part of the of that part of the inside of the temple until you get to the Holy of Holies. You can't imagine what a thrill this was. He's never been in there before. Well, how do you know? Because you can only do this one time. One time. And then your name is not in the lot to draw anymore because you've been there. There would be many who would go in but there would be many who would be left off of this that would never in their lifetime as a priest to do this thing. This is where he is. Funny thing, isn't it? Would you think God kind of set this up? Do you think God does this in His sovereign nature in our lives as He brings us through different situations? Every day at the temple you have the morning and the evening sacrifices. You would have the burnt incense offering of a morning, of evening. And people go back and forth on this um, saying that, well, Zechariah did his incense offering of a morning. and Or he did, some will say, in the evening. It doesn't matter. He, you know, he did it. It doesn't really mention it here. So, uh, at the same time, it is important that he's doing this at the altar of incense. Very possibly he did it in the evening. 
because that's when the most people would be there when they'd be praying. That only makes sense after they've worked and such. And that's that's what history calls it, but it doesn't matter. Zacharias had a great moment. He's the only priest that's going to go to this area. This is the only the only time this is supreme. This is the supreme moment in Zechariah's life. Getting to do what he's doing here. Put it simply, it's the presence of God that he's getting close to. The closest that he could get because the presence of God was seen in that Holy of Holies, what I mean by that, of course, if you go back to the tabernacle days, they had all the, the pieces there and you know the, that particular altar in there, and that represented God. Uh, that was supposed to be the place where He lived in, the, in that sense, even though we know that uh, this is all uh, symbolic, but yet it did symbolize this is God with them. This is God in the presence. That's why this is important to this priest. There's only one other one that could go further into the Holy of Holies, and that was the high priest. And we already have announced who that high priest was. He's the one that was appointed by Herod. Probably a communist. (laughs) Do we have some of those guys in our nation today in high places? So it says. Anyway, we noticed that at the end of 10, the whole magnitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. Large crown. Here it is. Just after the evening sacrifice is made, Zacharias is stepping to the altar of incense. He's beginning to spread that incense over the altar. Um, a sweet-smelling aroma. The smoke goes up. The sweet-smelling aroma goes up. The people outside are praying. They can smell this. They can see this. That means the prayers of God's people are going up, ascending to God. We, that's been fulfilled. We don't have to go to a temple to see that anymore, do we? We know that our prayers are heard by God when we have a relationship with Him. This was symbolic, but it, it, it proved to them, yes, when, when this time comes, we know that the prayers of the nation here are going up. And He steps up, spreads that incense over the altar, and suddenly He is interrupted. <laughs> we go to the angelic announcement, 11-17. through 17, And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he'll drink no wine or liquor, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet is his mother's womb. And he'll turn away many of the sons of Israel back 
to the Lord their God. It is He who will go as a forerunner before Him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Boy, that's a mouthful. Wow. This is the angel telling him what's going on. Here it is. This is the first news since Malachi, last chapter, last two verses, 400 years ago, and the angel comes on the scene representing God, speaking the words of God, and he says, Zechariah, here's how this is going to go down. This is it. This is the plan. So how would you react if you met an angel? (laughs) What would you do? I don't know. (laughs) I'd probably do what almost everybody else does in the Bible when they see an angel. They do what Zechariah did. He was scared to death. He was scared stiff by this encounter. He was struck, struck dumb by the unbelief Okay, he's, imagine going to church, you're preparing to worship, and then you encounter an angel standing there by you. This is not an everyday angel appearing. An appearance, this, this doesn't happen. Remember, really, God hasn't really spoken to them, hasn't revealed Himself for this long time period. He's sprinkling the incense. The angel stands before Him. We don't know what this angel looked like, but it's obvious from the very reaction of Zechariah that he recognizes that this is an angel. This is a supernatural appearance. Immediately, this happens. And so, there's the appearance, and now we get the response. Zechariah was troubled, verse 12, and fear gripped him. Totally dominated him. He was troubled, I guess. Before we judge him too harshly, we have to consider what this was that appeared before him, what this appearance, what's happening there, what 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 is he doing? Let's think about Zechariah, what's he doing? You know, he's he's doing Everything that he can to the best of his abilities to serve God at this elite time in his life as he's serving in the temple. The most important event in his life, he's alone in the temple. He gets this privilege. His mind is focused upon the things of the Lord and what he's doing. And then this interruption. Suddenly, this appearance... What must have gone through his mind at that moment? He's probably thinking, oh man, I have goofed up. What have I done wrong? I forgot something. Who knows what he's thinking? It doesn't say that. But you, you know, you put yourself into his place and you want to make sure you're meticulous. You want to do everything perfect. And if he messes up, and maybe that's what he's thinking, he's fearful anyway. I mean, this appearance, you know, it scares him. And if you just have somebody come up behind you sometimes, if you've ever jumped up, 
maybe he committed some kind of sacrilege that he didn't know about, and now God's going to kill him. Don't know. I know one thing, he's afraid. And angels tend to do this. Do not be afraid. How often do we see that? And we see it as the story develops on. Of course, we think of Mary and such. Do not be afraid. Zacharias calls him by name. For your petition has been heard. Now, the petition is, for one thing, they, they wanted children. He and his wife. But it's past that. They've probably given up praying about that. But all the years of prayer that they had, your petition has been heard. It just didn't come in your time. <laughs> it usually doesn't, does it? You know what? I think that it must be written in the angelic training manual. I have a chapter called Communicating with Humans. <laughs> Do not be afraid. Make sure you tell them that. Just humor your petition has been heard. Well, they had no child. It was humanly impossible. They're too old. Nothing short of a miracle here will allow them to have a child. This is the way that God works. He answers prayers according to His timing in His way, not the way that we always think it has to be. It's humanly impossible. That's whenever His glory shines the best. I think it forces us to give Him glory when He works in a way that we never ever thought. Wow, Lord, You delivered me out of that. Lord, You came in and did a tremendous work that could not have been done in my life. Okay, well, there's another character that's going to come on the scene here and he's announced here, do not be afraid, your petition has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. There's the answer to prayer. And you will give him the name John. How old is Zechariah here? Going to have a son. Elizabeth, it's going to come from Elizabeth. You're... Aged, aged wife. That's your aged. You're going to have a son. His name is going to be John. What's so important about John? That's probably one of the most popular names for men in this nation today. John. He's just another John, right? Well, back then it was too. It was a popular name, Yohanan. And it means the gift of Yahweh. Thanks, guys. The gift of Yahweh. This describes what God is doing in their lives. And of course, He was a gift of God to Zechariah, Elizabeth. An absolute gift. Obviously, they can't take any credit for it at all, but that is something. A gift of Yahweh to the ones who waited for the promise, the promise of a deliverer. And now he's going to tell about this John and how great he's going to be. He's, uh, You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. Yet yeah, Why? <laughs> 
because of this amazing miracle that's happening. For he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He'll drink no wine. He will take a Nazarite vow that happened before. Samson is one of those that took a Nazarite vow or, or uh, as he was not to cut his hair and drink no wine or liquor. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb, even before he's born. Shows you that he's a baby, that he's a human there, right? In the womb. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he'll turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. A forerunner before him. He's going to be a forerunner. Who's he going to go before? We won't even know that he preceded. Jesus, we know that that's Jesus when you look back at it, but if you look back at the end of verse 16, the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. And it is He, it's He, this uh, who will go as a forerunner, this John the Baptist, before Him. Who's the Him? In the previous verse, it's the Lord. Jesus is not mentioned here. We already know that, don't we? But here it's the Lord, their God. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is God. John the Baptist is 100% man. He is not God whatsoever, but he pointed to Jesus. And he set it up that there would be many people repentant. Their hearts would be changed. Remember how dark it is? And you remember all the miracles that Jesus did when He came in on the scene in His ministry? All the people who were blind and deaf and had so many different diseases. It goes on and on. What kind of shape the people were in. And He healed them. He rid that nation of that darkness, the blindness that was on the people spiritually. Also, it'd be the forerunner. We read that Malachi four, right? Four, five, and six. I'm just going to go back there just before Matthew and read five. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah. Calls him Elijah, like an Elijah, but his name is John the Baptist. And we see many references through, whether it be in Luke or the other Gospels, that this Elijah and Jesus mentions it, tells it to them that John the Baptist is the Elijah. Send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children. This is a repentance, a restoration before Christ coming back. But there has to be Christ the first coming before there's a second coming. He didn't come to judge the first time. He will the second time. Elijah was always considered to be one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. He was the world's best weather forecaster. He predicted that it wouldn't rain for three half years. It didn't rain. And then vice versa, right? Then there would be then the ending there would be rain coming, you know, the end of that kind of a curse that had come upon them. So he stood also before the king of Israel, Elijah did, and he condemned him. 
Ooh. You remember Elijah on the run later on? You know, after he confronted all the false prophets, the prophets of Baal and such, right? And his God. As a matter of fact, he made fun of them. But he showed who the true God was before all of them. This, this is some of the things that Elijah did. He prayed and a dead boy came back to life. He, were, he challenged the religious apostasy of the entire nation of Israel at Mount Carmel. He didn't even die. Instead, God just took him up, chariots, taken alive into heaven. It's God doing His thing, isn't He? Elijah was a great man of God. John the Baptist is considered by Jesus the greatest of men. That's who Zechariah and Elizabeth who are bringing into the world. He's a man. He's only a man, but he's the greatest. Jesus said that. He is the marking the end of the Old Testament era and the New Testament begins in that sense. The message that he will preach will be similar to what Elijah preached. What do you think that was? Repent. <laughs> Repent. Everywhere he went. Hanging out by the Jordan. Down by the Dead Sea. All in that area. People came. Came to him. He hung out by the rivers as he would baptize them as that would show that they were making an outward commitment to what inwardly was happening to them, repentance. And that's what John the Baptist did. To make way for the coming of the Lord. First of all, the first coming of Christ. That they would be ready to hear this. And then later on, there will be an Elijah. The second coming. Make people ready, John. That's the idea. To receive the Messiah. They are to make ready for the coming of the Lord. Going to 18, verse 18. Zacharias said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I'm an old man and my wife advanced in years. In other words, he's saying this is impossible. Reaction of Zacharias can be summed up in one word. It's unbelief. We're all guilty of this. That, and there's a repercussion of it. You say, man, that's helpful, serious. Anybody would have been scared at that time, you know? Hey, this is a holy moment. The holy word of God is being revealed. And if God speaks and He says it, He means it. And He doesn't fool around, right? He's not kidding. So what's His reaction? How do I know that you're telling the truth? <laughs> He's standing right there. How do I know you're telling the truth? You're telling the, How do I know this? I'm an old man. My wife's advanced in years. Those are two things that he comes back with. What's the deal here? Well, he has a limited view of God. We all have a limited view of God. We're learning. We're learning more and more. That's why every time we crack the Bible open and read it, we learn a little bit more about who Christ is. We find out about His nature. 
Every time we study, we come together, we worship God, we're learning a little bit more about God, we're becoming a little less ignorant and becoming a little more knowledgeable. We don't know much, but we're learning. How do we react? Well, we have a limited view of God even though we have the revealed Word of God. We have much more than Zechariah ever had or anybody, even John the Baptist, in the sense that we see the New Testament go on from even the Gospel times to the epistles that show the doctrines of who Christ was. So, there's a principle here. Do we really pray like what we say we believe? Do we be- if if we know it's God's will because it's it matches God's word, then we're to believe it. It just not just may not happen when we want and where we want. The principle is there's a direct correlation between the reality of our faith. It's real. Our faith was given. To us by Him, it's real. And we persevere in our prayers. And I know some of you have been praying for years and years and years. Actually, it's been decades now. And you pray for salvation for people. And don't ever give up because the Lord loves perseverance. And He does answer prayers. So there's the hope. You know, Elizabeth and John Zechariah lost hope. And there was good reason why, but now He's given all the hope that He ever need. Boy, if we believed better, we would pray more. I think I think you got a lesson on prayer here. Because the, the angel did save almost the first thing right off the bat. Don't be afraid. Your petition has been heard. He doesn't delay. He says, your, your petition, your prayer has been heard. What What, what prayer? Well, Elizabeth will bury you a son. We already touched on that. <laughs> oh, it's not too late? Okay, there is a sign given to Zacharias. He said, give me a sign. You know, the old, give me the fleece thing. We don't have to do that. We go to the Lord in prayer and... He does. If you're if you're desiring His will, do you know what He gives you the desires of your heart? Isn't that fascinating? Amen. He does. He puts that into your heart. If it's something that lines up with God's will, you're doing His will. Saved and sanctified, same things. Suffering. There are other S words there, right? We've gone through that many times. But if we're in line and we can't see that we're out of line. And you say, I would like to do this. Go at it, man. Do it. If it lines up with this, that's great. Make sure you touch with the Lord and say, Lord, I want to make sure that this is the desire that You gave me and it's the desire that You want me to have. Because I have this. He gives those desires to us. Well, here we go. This is the last section here, basically. Zacharias said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I'm a man and wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel. 
who stands in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, here's your sign, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words. There's the unbelief that we just said. Which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Gabriel. What's the name of the angel? Gabriel. You ever heard of Gabriel before? Yeah, you have. Had Zechariah ever heard of Gabriel before? Yes, he had. In the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, in chapter 9, verse 21. Also in chapter 8, you see Daniel. What does Daniel mean? Well, El, El, Daniel, El means God. And Dan is dealing with soldier. He's a soldier of God. When you find him in the book of Daniel, he has been fighting with the prince of who? You want to go there? In the book of Daniel. Mm-hmm. You remember it well, right? And matter of fact, if you want to see this in chapter 8, it says, And I heard the voice of a man between the banks of Uli. He appeared as a man. And he called out and said, this man says, Gabriel, give this man an understanding of the vision. So he gives the understanding to Daniel. Who's there present? That's Gabriel, right? And in in chapter 9, you have Daniel again in verse um, 21. While I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel appears as a man whom I had seen in the vision previously came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. That's interesting. So he gives him instruction. And of course, um, we know that Gabriel brings an answer to Daniel and what that was all about. And then we get the 70 weeks and, and the Messiah. Uh, it's you know you, you get this whole story. Uh, of of what's going to happen in in the future, and Daniel was involved with that, and of course the of course the uh, the prince that he had been fighting with and dealing with. So we move on. We got to complete this, but there's a there's a delay of Zacharias now. The, the people are waiting. Zacharias had gone into the temple, went to the altar of incense and what happened? The people are going, what happened? <laughs> what ha- He's not out there yet. Usually they go in there, they do their thing, they get out as quick as they can. They do it right and proper but very quickly. You don't want to be lingering in there as this priest. And the people are out praying and they're waiting. They're waiting. He's still in there. And now there's kind of a murmuring going about in the crowd. They were wondering at his delay in the temple, but when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. Just as the angel had said, he asked for a sign. The power of God was given to him in the sense of he lost his voice there to be able to speak. A uh, highly unusual thing happening as it took uh, all this time and the people are saying something has to be wrong. And finally they see a movement of the door of the temple. It's Zacharias. Everyone 
just breathes a sigh of relief. He came out. Oh, it's okay. God could have taken his life, right? They're thinking, what, what, what went on? Did he have a heart attack? What, what's going on? 24 and 25. It says 23, when the day of his priestly service ended, he went back home. 24, after these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant. She kept herself in seclusion for five months. Why? Because I think for one reason, she is giving thanks to God. She has prayers of dedication. How can this thing happen? We prayed for this, and now this is what you've done, Lord. This is amazing. She couldn't say enough thanks and gives her time with the Lord. Uh, God is always faithful and she's recognizing that. Even when we're faithless, He's faithful, right? Uh, maybe she wanted to keep her pregnancy a secret while she was, it was, you know, until it was obvious that she was pregnant. Because you don't show for a little while. Uh, who knows? Uh, but God acted in grace. Because this is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when He looked with favor, with grace upon me to take away my disgrace among men. So the thing is, Deuteronomy it says that there will not be women who are uh, not fertile. There will not be women who are barren. And if it did, it meant, wow, they must really be not walking with the Lord, right? Seemed like a curse. We end with this. Have we ever been doubtful of the Lord? Yeah. We all are. It's a part of our sanctification. But the more more we learn Him and the more we've seen the past history of what He's done, He's never let us down. I don't think there's anybody here that can really honestly say the Lord has let you down. And if you think He has, you haven't seen the end of the story yet. You might ask for a prayer. You say, oh, okay, well maybe that's not asking the right way. You can change whatever. But the Lord is going to fulfill what His plan is and we always are to pray His will. Zechariah, Elizabeth did that. Elizabeth... Here we see the result of her actions as she goes and just gives thanks to the Lord. She she knew that the promise was really true. Do we trust in the promises of God? Does that speak to us? And we know that, yeah, we're weak too, but we know we also trust in the Word of God. And we know that God will always come true. If we're His people, we're His children, that's what's so great about a track record, but you can look at your own life, but then it always comes back to this, doesn't it? And this is what's important. It's for His glory, and that's what is really produced out of this story. This is the glory of God. We have just seen something miraculous as we have read this, and God has come back to the world speaking through an angel who He will then work through John the Baptist and then the promised Messiah will be born as we're working to that. And then we'll see His ministry shortly as we look in the book of Luke. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this tremendous story. 
how everything is set up and written uh, just in a way by this man, Luke, who is inspired by the very Spirit of God, who gives us an understanding here of who you are and what you have the plan. And through John the Baptist, he points to the light. He was not the light, but he pointed to the light that was to come. In Jesus' name, Amen.